This is God's word. Be very careful then in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. Somebody near the front here have the slip from the worship guide with the reflections in it, with the quotes in it that I can borrow. Let's see, thank you. All right, we're going to look at this scripture passage. Let me open with prayer. Our God of grace, as we enter into this room, it's a place that's filled with arts, culture, and activism all week. And this morning, every Sunday, we come in and we rent this space out. And we call it church. And for, I think, five years now, we've been doing this here. And um, a lot has happened in this space. A lot of ways in which your powerful love and care and grace and sometimes difficult challenge you have met people here in this space. And so it's not, it's not just empty words when we invite you now to meet us with your grace. As some of us come in, and many of us, in fact, probably this morning, in one maybe small way or maybe large way, feel like we're returning to you. And... When we do so, um, we need to know that those who return to you, who approach you, are met just like the younger son in the story in the Bible where the father, even though the son ran off giving the finger and not wanting anything to do with the family, the father runs out to meet the son and throws a lavish party on his behalf. That's how you meet us this morning. So Holy Spirit, through the um, imperfect words that I speak, and through the powerful, spirit-filled words of your scripture, will you now meet us in that kind of way? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stand here. We, we have the more simple, simplified sound set up today because, our, um, because of what I was telling you earlier about Davion not being here. This week, um, you may have heard some things on the radio about uh, Aretha Franklin passing away. And, and someone just this morning said it was, you know, it's hard to get out of the car. Um, arriving here, hearing Aretha Franklin's voice singing Amazing Grace. As you know, as you pull up, 
And so we've been able to think about and hear other people talk about the power of song and the power of music as Aretha Franklin has planted into our, our culture so many moments of depth through song. Music is powerful. Singing, singing together, singing together is, is a powerful but strange thing, isn't it? How often do you sing together? And maybe if you're a church-going person, then you, you, you have this thought once in a while. You think, like, how weird is this that, you know, um, once a week, or maybe once a month, I should say more accurately, um, I come to a church, and uh, that was supposed to be a really funny joke about church, <laughs> church attendance. Um, uh, you know, I come to this place, and I sing these songs with these other people, half of them who I don't even know, and we lift our voice, we sing these songs together, a bunch of them. You know, how weird is that? Where else does that happen? Yesterday, our family was doing our yearly, um, our yearly end of summer trip to have ice cream for dinner at Leatherby's. And, you know, twice while we were there, um, this, a song breaks out. And, of course, what song is it? Happy birthday. It's, it's happy birthday, right? So, so there are these moments, right? I don't know if it's baseball season, so I don't know if you've been at a baseball game yet this season. Have you been to one and you get to hear someone maybe sing the national anthem at the beginning? And then, it, and then what is it, the seventh inning stretch? Take me out to the ball game. Okay, we'll stop. <laughs> and then there was that really interesting, um, when you think back to it, that interesting moment when all those legislators, the, co- the congressmen and women were standing together. I forget if it was in front of the White House or what, but on, on September 11, 2001, some of you are too young maybe even to remember this, but... Um, all of them, they were making a statement and, and, and talking about how unified they were. And all of a sudden, slowly you heard, and it was televised, and you, and you can go check it on YouTube now. But you, you can slowly hear some of the voices starting to join together in song. They were singing, God bless America. It was extremely touching, and it was, you know, it was timely. Singing is an interesting thing. Singing together, putting our voices together. There's something deep going on there. There's something rich and touching and moving. You know, what is it? Carpool karaoke? Right? Did, did any of you see the episode with Paul McCartney? Yes. I, I, you know, someone said, this went viral, so I went and watched it. It was incredible. Paul McCartney being driven around by, what's his name? James Corden, yeah, and I don't even watch the late show or whatever it's called, but I see these carpool karaoke things online. I love the Paul McCartney one because I've been uh, reading a book on the Beatles um, this summer. I just finished it a couple weeks ago, so I was fascinated by the songs they sang together. And as they're singing, the host James Corden, at one point they're singing "Let It Be," and and all of a sudden he's just losing it. And if you saw it, you know he's just. And, you know, uncharacteristically just in tears. And he's like the host of this conversation, you know, and suddenly he can't speak. And, he's, and he talks about why. And he talks about how this song was introduced to him by his grandfather who said, I'm going to play for you the best song ever written. You know, the best song ever. And so now he's like having this moment of I'm singing, I'm thinking of my grandfather who's passed away. And I'm singing this song with the author of the song. And wishing my grandfather could see this moment. And, you know, I'm, as I'm saying, I'm like, up here right now, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know. 
the Beatles. The Beatles have produced so many rich, deep, moving songs in our culture's musical landscape. Their songs, I almost guarantee most of you, they're songs you didn't even know was a Beatles song. And, uh, and, and you just know the song, and you're like, oh yeah, that song. And, um, and as I read this book recently, one thing did strike me about the Beatles' music is I expected almost as I heard the backstory on all the songs that they would all have some kind of deep, rich meaning, and they would be cohesive. And as you learn the song and sing it, you would be drawn into something maybe bigger than yourself and some, some, some meta-arc story you know, behind the world. And, um, and I was a little bit surprised and maybe a little bit bummed to find out many of their songs were just incredibly random and even very silly, like the song Yesterday. What a powerful song. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Right? You know that song? Oh, I believe in yesterday. You know the original words to that before it all kind of came together as a song? Just to show you the backside of some of these songs. It went like this. Scrambled eggs. <laughs> oh my baby, how I love your egg, your legs. That's it. I messed up a little bit. But. Oh my baby, how I love your legs. That was was literally the words of this song as it was in formation. And like like I said, a little bit disappointment. Like there's there wasn't you know it was just one morning Paul McCartney decided well let's put some more meaningful lyrics to that song. Let's put it on a record, you know. In our, in our passage today, this is a long introduction to just help us understand the power of music. And in our passage today, it's one of these rare, um, rare passages. I forgot to bring my Bible up. Let me grab it a second. Um, we get this emphasis on singing together. So as you see in verse 19, there we go. Um, as we get to verse um, 19, this, this key phrase, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Probably the the most direct time in the Bible where people who are, you know, who are calling themselves Christians, who are trying to live out that Christian faith. This is a part of the Bible where, and part of this letter where it gets very, almost like finger pointing, like, okay, here's how you live. Okay, let me tell you. Now that you have all the underpinnings of this, let me tell you how to live in those underpinnings. Let me tell you how to express that. And so there's many things said. And in this particular point, there was a, there's a little ancient song. Um, scholars believe that this is probably an early song that they were familiar with. Just before the part we read, literally the words right before what um, Karen read, went like this. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And in this, in, this time, in this time in this letter, uh, Christians are being told kind of how to live. And you notice some of the key things that are said in the passage right after that little poetic song of rise up and live. Um, it talks about not living unwise, but wise. Um, and then it talks about not being foolish, but being understanding. And then not getting drunk, but being filled with the spirit and letting that flow out in song. It says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And, and really what this does is this, this brings you in, if you're familiar with music, and if you're allowed to ponder the power of music, this brings you to a point of really a transition in understanding 
music, transition from something that kind of operates at a pretty deep level to something that operates at an even more mysterious, deeper, much richer level. And that is how music is and singing together is in the Christian church. As incredible as it feels to be in a crowd of 20,000 people singing along with Bono, with or without you, I can't live, right? I'm showcasing my off-key like voice today. As powerful and as incredible as that is, there's something even greater going on when a Christian community of diverse people joins voices with singing in worship. Legislators singing patriotically with each other, united against terrorism. As, as we're able to look back at that, that beautiful image gets tarnished a bit by the actions and the legislation and the um, battles that were pursued following up that beautiful song of unity. And it just is another example of how there's something deeper and richer going on here when the Bible's talking about singing together. There's something that, um, that connects us with what we've often mentioned in the past year. Part of our conversation has been referencing this verse in Revelation chapter 7. Where we read that after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. This is like all these people of different languages, different backgrounds, and different skin colors, and different cultures. Singing with a loud voice, not voices. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're worshiping, they're singing. This collection of singers, this misfit choir, is what we're drawn into. And it's much bigger, it's much deeper than just even the most moving and meaningful songs of our world. Let me read a few things for how um, this writer and this theologian and scholar... Um, he was also the archbishop in, uh, in England. His name is N.T. Wright. This is what he says about the singing. He says, tantalizingly, though, Paul quotes in verse 14 from what is almost certainly one of these early Christian poems or hymns. It's a call to wake up, to rise up, to live in the light of King Jesus. It is this sort of thing, and no doubt a good deal more of it, that we should imagine being sung both in formal worship by the early Christians and, as Paul envisages here, as, as they go about their daily business and leisure. Paul doesn't see these hymns and songs as simply decorative, a pleasant oral embroidery around Christian faith and practice, singing whether aloud or in your heart, was, he thought, an excellent way of actually practicing the faith. If you don't want your garden to grow weeds, one of the best ways is to keep it well stocked with strong, sturdy flowers and shrubs. If you don't want your mind and heart to go wandering off into the realms of darkness, one of the best ways is to keep them well stocked with wise and thankful themes so that words of comfort, guidance, and good judgment come bubbling up unbidden 
from the memory and self-consciousness. The singing that Paul has in mind here is the ultimate antidote, he goes on, to living in the darkness of immorality that pervades our surrounding world. There's something deeper and richer going on when Christians put their voices together to sing. You're being shaped, you're being um, formed. There's a way in which when Christians um, sing, we're both having the chance to express a faith that's already there. We're having a chance to put words to a faith that we're trying to hold on to. And we're having a chance to learn a faith that might be new to us all at the same time. Christians have our own legendary songwriter, Paul McCartney. You can see his, his you can see Paul McCartney's uh, quote in the worship guide where he says, "One of my biggest thrills, one of the biggest thrills for me, is still is sitting down with a guitar or a piano and just out of nowhere trying to make a song happen." I feel like, from the Bible, I feel like David would resonate most with. With that, David, who was the author of so many of the psalms in the Christian and Jewish songbook, we call it the psalms. There's 150 of them. And in them are not just a bunch of, you know, lose yourself in the emotions kind of thoughts, not a bunch of plaster on some fake words um, to make, you know, kind of put that plastic smile on your face or to rev you up so that you feel better. But the words of the psalms actually express the the whole story of Scripture. So there's psalms where you can express grief and sadness and lament. There's psalms where you can express doubt in God and his existence and his goodness. There's psalms in which you can remember that God is your shepherd holding you through the darkest valleys. There's psalms where you can be reminded that there are often very, and we don't like to think this way, but there are psalms that point us to, to the realization that sometimes there's like a fork in the road and there's only two ways. You know, there's the way of righteousness and the way of wickedness. And there are certain times in life where we need that kind of just said to us or we need to put that on our lips to remember that. And that's the psalms. It runs the gamut. It's full-orbed uh, faith. It's much deeper and richer than just some songs that make you feel good. It's songs that draw you into something way bigger than yourself. The story of broken people in a world that we've messed up in which God has entered in sacrificially to put things back together and he's not waiting for us to do it. He starts by approaching you in your brokenness. Saying, I still love you. I'm still your God. I want to make things right, even though you can't. And as he approaches us that way, then we can approach the world that way. And these songs and psalms that the church sings draw us into that story from all different angles and emotions and experiences. And so sometimes church people need to be reminded that we're not just when we're singing, we're not just trying to get lost in the emotional warmth. Perhaps a a way to counter that is to say what we're trying to do is get found as a participant in a story. Being very helped by the emotional warmth of good music and good singing and good voices. Can I get any amen? You've probably had times where you've been very helped by the music. Another way of putting what this passage is saying is that um, those who are found in God's bigger story of grace, once you're found in it, it's not a group of people 
slurring their words to bar tunes with their arms around someone else's spouse late at night. But there are people, according to this passage, who are filled with the Spirit, which is flowing out in meaningful songs that reinforce your baptism story, which is the big Christian story. And we do that together. In a way, we're not singing fools just trying to find a way to escape the troubles of this world, but we're wise we're wise, soulful, contagious, misfit singers joining together in a misfit choir. Just one quick story. I don't know whether this connects with you or not, but one quick story before I close in prayer. Just briefly is that I recall very clearly in probably around 2009, sometime where we were meeting as a church in the Eastern Star Temple by Sutter's Fort in the basement kind of uh, auditorium down there. And I just remember sitting there and um, Eric DeCock was leading us in singing and he was singing one of the songs that became one of my favorites in those early years that he introduced to us. It's called Wonderful Merciful Savior. And we're, so we're sit, singing this and my context at the time is, okay, I'm increasingly having this household full of babies and diapers and yet at the same time, we're trying to launch, the, do this crazy thing of starting a church in a place where everybody I talk to seems like could care less about church. And yet there's all these amazing people who are coming and starting to weave their lives into it. And yet I'm really tired and there's a lot of stress around it for the three years prior to this. And I don't even sometimes realize how broken and weary I am until all of a sudden we're sitting singing this song, Wonderful, Merciful Savior, Precious Redeemer and King. And there's um, part of the chorus. Let's see if I can remember. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You bring the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. And that still touches me kind of deep. Because there was a moment sitting there singing it where those words of the bigger story, the healing and grace my heart is hungering for, at that moment, just broke me. Just broke me open. And you know, I had to get up in like a minute later and start talking. And here I am. And that's the power of singing, not just something cozy and warm, but something that draws you and just is a road, a pathway straight into the heart of the gospel of the good news of Jesus meeting us in our brokenness. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you. Thank you for the beauty of music. We see it in so many ways, and we thank you for people like Aretha Franklin, who brought out some of the best of music, and Paul McCartney, the same, and the Beatles, and all the other favorites of ours. We thank you. We thank you especially that as we pursue the grace that has come to us through Jesus, your son, when he entered the brokenness of the cross and shouldered it for us so that we wouldn't have to. We thank you that you have given us ways to sing about that. You've given us ways to experience that deeply. We pray that you may help us as a community to be 
fully awake to the days that we live in. And that we may exhibit, we may be experienced by those who might walk in, you know, unsuspectedly. We may be experienced as a contagious misfit choir who lives for something much bigger and much more gracious than the, world, the rest of the world has found. We pray this in Jesus' name.